Before we get started today, here's what's new at Cold Wax Academy. Fall quarter is now underway with sessions on texture, materiality, and process, finding time for your work, a return visit with Gamblin representative Mary Tevlin, a painting clinic for works in progress, and the quarterly member critique. As always, members are encouraged to take part in the online sessions, where lively discussions take place as Rebecca and Jerry respond in real time. But if you can't make it to the live sessions, remember that Cold Wax Academy members have unlimited streaming access to over 100 previously recorded sessions. And now you can navigate the extensive range of topics with an index to easily find what you need. By the way, you don't have to use Cold Wax Medium to benefit from the content in these recordings. Artists who use other painting media will also find a wealth of valuable information, including effective use of the visual elements and composition, personal voice and intentions, mentoring topics like procrastination and work-life balance, and much, much more. For more info and to join Cold Wax Academy, please visit coldwaxacademy.com. That's coldwaxacademy.com. That's all for now. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about interpreting experience, an abstract approach. We may think of abstract painting as exploring the visual elements and the process of painting strictly for their own sakes, but that's only one kind of abstract work. Many abstract artists have a more personal approach in which aspects of their lives, memories, and experiences fuel their work. They want to feel a direct connection between their inner lives and what they create. But finding ways to interpret these personal sources in abstract terms is a big challenge. Without obvious subject matter, how can you express an experience, tell a personal story, or evoke a memory? Today we'll talk about some approaches to abstraction when very personal expression is the goal. With me as always is Rebecca Kroll. Hello everyone. And I want to say before we get started that um, there's been a little break here where we, we were not uh, publishing a podcast for several weeks. If you happen to see the Facebook announcement, um, we, uh, we're we going to a different, looser type of schedule. So we still want to continue doing these episodes, but it's not going to be on such a regular basis as it was in the past. And more like um, when something moves us, when we want to talk about something. So it's going to slow down a bit, but we hope that you stay with us. Um, it's just been, um, it's been a challenge to fit this into our busy lives, uh, but we're going forward as well. So, um, right. And, and there are, I think, just a couple people who have uh, a monthly donation set up. And it, we're, I mean, I completely understand if people don't want to donate on that kind of basis if we're not producing content regularly. But I, I would really like uh, our listeners to continue to use our uh, Blick affiliate link. Um, because that is very helpful uh, for us to be able to continue to host this content. Uh, the the cost of hosting uh, content doesn't really change if we produce fewer episodes. Um, you know, there's a there's monthly fees that and bills that need to be paid. Uh, at least if the content is going to r- remain available, um, you know. So if uh, if if you find a, a continued benefit from you know 
looking back at the old episodes um, and enjoying the new ones when they do come out, uh, please please do continue to use our Blick affiliate link because that's that's really like the main way that we fund this podcast. Absolutely. Okay. So um, to the topic of today, which is um, interpreting experience in an abstract way, like forming that personal connection with what you're trying to say in your work. And this is a topic that comes up a lot in teaching and it also, teaching workshops, it also comes up when people ask me about my work or I talk about my work because um, what was said in the intro there was pretty fitting to the way that I work. I want it to be connected to um, my personal feelings, memories, experiences, all kinds of things like that. So um, my motivations are my motivation for what I want in my work is pretty personal. And, you know, at the same time, I'm, of course, using aspects of pure abstraction. And so finding that integration of, um, you know, what's uh, those kind of portals into personal experience along with just making a good painting and making a good abstract painting, that is a balance that is a challenge for people. It's been a, an ongoing exploration for me for a long time. It's very interesting and engaging. But I'm going to try to talk about this today. It's not really an easy topic to talk about because uh, especially without, you know, pointing to visual examples of these things. Um, but I think there are some underlying ideas and considerations that hopefully will be helpful. And before I get into it too much, I do want to make a distinction between what was mentioned in the intro about um, a lot of abstraction really is, it's what we call um, pure abstraction. It is really about the visual elements. A painting might be about color and line or a certain type of composition. And um, that's a certain type of ab abstraction. And at the same time, we don't want to absolutely cut that off from what we're talking about today because um, mo like any artist that's producing any work is coming from some personal motivation. There is some attraction to an idea. There's some reason that the artist is attracted to pure abstraction so that you can't really separate personal motivation from any of this, we all start from some, you know, some interest, some impetus. How personal this is really varies. And so we're kind of looking at the far end of um, that continuum into, into work that is, is quite personal, but also very abstract and not so intellectually based um, as pure abstraction tends to be. So it is a continuum. There's no cutoff point. And I just want to point out that uh, point that out, and that artists can fluctuate also on that kind of continuum from I'm just exploring color to I want to evoke an emotion that has to do with an experience I had. So there's a, there's a lot of room in there. Um, but today, we do want to focus on that far end. Um, artists who really want to express aspects of their own their own lives, their own experiences, what they see in the world, what they like, what they feel, um, and that in this case, that connection is really important to them. And so when working this way, uh, part of the motivation is to try to affect the viewer in, in a similar way as they were affected by whatever it is they're trying to express. Um, 
And again, this is simplistic. Pure abstraction can also have a very evocative effect on the viewer. Um, but in the in the case of the kind of work that we want to talk about today, um, emotion and personal experience are really what drives the work. That's more in the forefront of what the artist is working with. So how do you get there as an artist um, if you're interested in expressing more of yourself and your work? If you feel that you're a little disconnected, you're sort of going through the motions, maybe you're, you're conducting color exercises. I say this because, you know, I run into people who tell me this, that they don't, they don't really feel um, their work may be very good, but they don't feel a personal connection with it. How do you get there? And, and I think that one of the biggest keys is the ways that you develop your own visual language, that's your basis for personal expression. And and so what I'm talking about when I say that, the ways that you um, use the visual elements and composition um, that you discover that feel most expressive to you and feel like you. And that might be certain color combinations or certain textural effects, some kind of particular type of mark making. It's something just clicks for you and, and you discover it over time. It, you get there, I think, through a lot of practice and just, you know, doing stuff and figuring, noticing what, you know, what really strikes you as this is me, this is what I want to, this is the way that I want to work. That's a bit vague, I know, but there's no way uh, that you just sit down and say, okay, here's my visual language, you know, I'm, not, I'm just inventing this out of thin air. No, it, it is a result of sorting through different approaches that you try and deciding, you know, what that is, what's authentic to you. And it happens bit by bit over time. So if you're at the point where you don't feel like you have that language, um, just be patient. It it just simply is a discovery process and it can take a while. I feel like a lot of times with any kind of process that we're going through, not necessarily in creating artwork, but in, in a lot of different things in life, there can be a a dryness that comes when we haven't made a like a big step lately. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So yes. if, if you're kind of going through the motions and you're not you're not seeing like a, you're not doing something new. You're not pushing your boundaries. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times there's just, there's another step that needs to be taken at that point to go a little bit deeper. Yeah. And sometimes people are in a sort of safe zone where they know what works, but they don't particularly feel that it's expressive to them. And, and it is uh, kind of leaving that safe zone, trying something that feels a little risky, feels a little odd, to see, well, maybe that's maybe that's an opening for something that's just gonna that you're gonna connect with more emotionally. It might be, maybe um, you know, you you do a lot of work in bright color and you never really use dark color because it seems, you know, it's like I don't want to go there, but um, but maybe you do need to go there and try it, and maybe that's a way to connect. So I think you're right. If you if you sense that you're not connected emotionally to your work, it is time to to try some new things and push something that even maybe flirting around with a little bit, but haven't really explored. And when you keep doing that, um, you know, gradually you find ways to, to uh, bring this language together so that you can, 
you can use it. And um, it really is uh, analogous to, to a spoken language because as you develop it, you learn to speak with it and you, you can form sentences, you know, you can create meaning with it. Um, and you have to get some basic vocabulary in place in order to do that. So that's, uh, that's, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as we go on, but there's a flexibility to it. You know, once you find these visual elements and things, ways of using them, or maybe it's a certain process or certain way of using tools, um, once you discover that, there's a flexibility there. It doesn't have to be one thing. It becomes like words. You can make a poem, you can write an essay, whatever it is. Um, so visual language, as you develop it, <clears throat> does often come out of what you observe in the visual world or what moves you in the visual world. And um, this is confusing for people that are working with abstraction because if I'm very attracted to clouds, let's say, and I look at clouds a lot, and I love clouds, and I want to paint about clouds, but I don't want it to be pictures of clouds. This is the point where it becomes becomes difficult. And, and I'm assuming that the person wants to move their work out of uh, rep direct representation. So um, in observing clouds and things, clouds and sky, you might um, be able to evolve something that were just luminous shapes um, overlapping organic shapes, things that you observe in the clouds, but they don't have to be clouds. They can be aspects of your language. They can be words in your visual language that you can then um, use in various ways. And this this uh, can happen in so many ways. If, you're, if your basic source is visual, you're looking at the world and you're seeing things. Um, I work with a lot of artists who are abstracting from landscape, and this is this is a difficult point because at some level they want to do they want to create a picture of landscape, but then their other side is saying, "I want to move into something that's more more free, more less literal." Um, and so there's a point of observing the landscape, things in the landscape, um, or perhaps it's figures. Maybe you're attracted to figures. You're observing how figures move, and maybe that comes out as gestural lines. So there's this translation that goes on. Um, and as you start to sort of distill those observations into pure uh, visual language, it's very liberating because you lose the need to depict and you lose the need to illustrate. But at the same time, you retain those associations. Um, you remember the moving figure when you're making the gestural lines that may not be descriptive of a figure at all. So that connection is actually there. And you're using um, the elements, the visual elements, in a way that are is liberated from its source, basically. And so then that opens up a lot of new expressive possibilities. Um, and an example in my own work, I guess, is that um, I have a lot of ways to make uh, organic texture in my work. And this is visual texture. It has to do with building up layers, compressing layers, scraping, scratching, all these things that I do in my own work to create a surface that looks um, varied, it looks textural, it looks very organic. Um, and this comes out of nature, really, of, of walking in nature, looking at rocks, looking at tree bark, all those things. Um, 
But once it's kind of distilled into this texture, it becomes something that's much freer to be able to use it. Um, I don't have to think, oh, I need to convey like this is a rock, you know. Um, it's it's a way of manipulating color and value that's that's disengaged from the actual rock. It's a rock-like texture. Well, what can rock-like texture do in my work? Um, it can add a complex surface to the painting. Uh, complexity itself is important to me as part of what I experience in nature. So I hope I'm explaining that okay, but there's there's a disconnect from, it's not I'm painting a rock, it's I'm taking the texture that I observe in the rock and I'm using it as an element in the composition. And that's um, that's a step. And it's kind of a difficult one um, for people to make to, you know, take figure out that language, step back and use it in a different way. Uh, let's take a quick minute to talk about what deals are available from Blick. Right now, Windsor and Newton Artists Oil Paints and Sets are between 40 and 63% off. Windsor and Newton Artists Oil Color is unmatched for its purity, quality, and reliability, a success that is reflected in its worldwide reputation among professional artists. Combined with more than 170 years of manufacturing and quality control expertise, the formulation of Windsor & Newton Artist Oil Color ensures the best raw materials are made into the world's finest colors. Windsor & Newton uses only the purest of pigments ground in linseed and safflower oils in the manufacture of its Artist Oil Color line, ensuring the cleanest, brightest colors for excellent mixing results. Maximum quality control throughout all stages of production, plus the selection of the most suitable drying oils and pigment dispersion methods ensure that each color's properties are preserved. Because every Windsor & Newton Artist Oil color contains the maximum pigment consistent with good handling qualities, it achieves the optimum tinting strength when reduced with white. Windsor & Newton Artist Oil colors remain soft and wet for several days, allowing ample time to rework. All colors become touch dry in thin films in between 2 and 12 days. To take advantage of uh, that offer, uh, uh, Windsor & Newton Artist Oil Color Paints and Sets at 40 to 63% off list price, uh, please remember to use our affiliate link, uh, which I mentioned at the at the top of the show, which is, of course, MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this is the main way that we are able to pay for hosting and uh, a number of the bills associated with uh, maintaining this content for you. Uh, so please use that affiliate link whenever you purchase your art supplies from Blick. Uh, and when you do that, they're going to donate a very generous 10% back to the Messy Studio podcast. Um, we have a, a wonderful relationship with Blick that we're very thankful for. And we're, we're very thankful every time somebody uses our affiliate link, which is, of course, MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick. All right, let's get back into the show. Okay, and I just want to add briefly that these are these are really good paints that are moderately priced, and um, I use them myself, so... Okay, so what were we talking about? Um, uh, so that challenge of avoiding literal depiction, okay? That is, um, it's so easy to slide into that. And if you're telling yourself you want to avoid that, that's what I'm presuming with all of this, that you're not wanting literal depiction. Um, that's an important thing to, to be, just be aware of in your own um, approach. And also... Um, to understand uh, the limits of abstraction in 
telling exact stories or exact meaning. And abstract work, and I'm mainly talking about painting here, is primarily visual, and it has to work on that level. And in order to make that happen, you kind of need to let go of the idea that somebody else, your viewer, is going to know exactly where you were coming from. They won't. I mean, it's not, it's not an illustration, so they won't get exactly where you were coming from. And that's something just to accept. Your, whatever your ideas are, your sources, those are just your guides. That helps you make choices uh, for your work, what colors, what format, all kinds of things, when you, when you know what your source is. And it just sort of, what you're doing there is setting the stage, and you're enabling the painting to develop within a general realm. Let's just use a landscape as an example. Your painting is going to develop in a way that expresses things that you enjoy about the landscape. Um, and it, it really doesn't get much more specific than that for the viewer. So you just want to sort of guide your viewer into certain impressions, but you are allowing for their own interpretation. And that is a really interesting connection with the viewer. And that's kind of the beauty of abstraction because you're not telling them what to see. Um, but on the other hand, many people approach uh, trying to get meaning into their abstraction with pretty specific ideas that they want to get in there. And then it's quite frustrating. And, and we do see this when we teach quite a bit. There's this urge to, uh, to, to kind of make it so clear and that easily slides into um, depiction. And so a lot of times I see paintings that you can tell there's this urge to dictate the meaning of the piece. It's being overstated somehow, and there's literal depiction involved. And if that's where you're at and you're trying to get away from that, that's kind of what this message is about. So a couple of things to consider with this whole idea of bringing your personal experience, your personal feelings into your abstract work. The idea of an essence, um, this is an important aspect of abstracting from your own life. And it is actually typically the motivation behind wanting your work to be more abstract because you're trying to get at the essence of something. Um, you want to express uh, the impact of something or some experience that impressed you. And that gets down to um, that kind of essential aspects of whatever it is, whatever it is that moved you personally. So essence, you can think of essence as a distillation of an idea so that it gains strength and it gains maximum impact. Just like, um, you know, if you distill the substance down to its smallest particles, um, you're you're getting a very concentrated and impactful um, product in the end. So that's a very simple way of explaining it. It doesn't. It's more complex than that, of course. Just just to say that in definition, essence means um, the intrinsic nature or indispensable quality of something, especially something abstract, that determines its character. It's a good definition. Um, it's hard to work with that as an absolute, because an essence really isn't one any one specific thing. Um, it's complex. It's just like if I said, oh, can you describe the essence of your best friend <laughs> or your husband or wife or whoever it is? 
yeah, that's hard to do in just like a few words, right? I mean, that is, it's, there's a lot of different ways that you can look at what's important about something. And that's, but at the same time, that's a doorway to working with something abstractly because you have a number of different ideas that you can explore, that you can put together in different ways. Um, if I'm looking at the landscape, I might think, well, I'm really moved by this sense of timelessness, you know, these mountains that are just here and, you know, just kind of get that feeling of solidity into the painting. Or another day I might think, well, you know, it's nature is fragile, you know, and I might have a more uh, different approach to the painting, still working with the same source, but different aspects of it. Um, and a little, a little tip for working with essence in abstract uh, in an abstract approach, is to avoid um, thinking in concrete nouns, labels of things uh, that relate to your source idea. So let's say you want to uh, paint about the feeling of being by the sea, by the, by the waves, by the beach. And rather than thinking sea, water, sky, clouds, sand, etc., those are really concrete nouns that bring absolute images to your mind, right? Um, if you can shift your thinking to think about the whole experience in terms of verbs, adverbs, adjectives, or maybe abstract nouns, and in this case, this example, it might be things like uh, movement, energy, atmosphere, maybe certain colors. And, you know, that's just liberating. That does not depend on a scene or actual objects. Um and in that process, also to connect with, you know, why, what moves you about that? Why are you interested in working with that idea? Now, when you're actually painting, it's kind of different. I mean, you're, you're trying to make the painting work, and you're probably really focused on, you know, is this color right, or, you know, does this area need something? It, the process of painting can be removed from that uh, impetus to do it, but periodically... I think you need to step back and connect again with your source and just let it feed you. And then at times you're just wrapped up in, in the process. And that's, that's a back and forth that is perfectly natural. You don't have to feel all the feelings as you're painting the painting. <laughs> that would be a bit much. Uh, but you acknowledge the feelings or the memories. Um, but basically essence is about, you know, finding something clear, something strong to say about what you want to say and it's okay if it's there's some complexity to it um but the clearer that you can be about what this is the better what what do you want to convey what do you want the fewer to feel and it might take a lot of work a lot of paintings to figure that out it's again it's that discovery process if you start with a an idea that you are moved by and you want to uh, paint about your feelings or memories uh, probably not going to happen right away. Probably have to work through because it does get back to that idea of visual language. What's the what's the visual language that's going to work with this? And there's there's one other um, consideration that I want to mention. This is these are both pretty general, and that's why I thought they were okay to talk about without you know visual examples because this is this is thought stuff. Okay, so the other one is um, having a context for your work. So that word context. Um, and context means, according to the dictionary, the setting or circumstances surrounding an event, statement, or idea, which allow it to be fully understood and assessed. Um, 
And we're familiar with this word. We, we kind of know what it means. But what does it mean for an abstract artist? And I think it means uh, making clear that you do intend an abstract context for your work. Uh, and that sounds pretty simple and straightforward, but actually um, it can be confusing because you are trying to convey meaning. How do you keep this in the abstract realm? Usually that means doing away with things that create the illusion of what we would normally see around us in visual reality. Okay, so we see horizon lines. We see objects as three-dimensional um, horizon lines and rendering things as three-dimensional. Um, I'm not saying you can't do that. It can't be used. But be aware that when you include things like that, it takes the viewer away from that sort of more interpretive space and into something more concrete, more realistic. Um, and it is a temptation to put those things in. And I've seen it over and over as, as a pathway to meaning. So ask yourself, if you're trying to get away from that, um, as the artist, are you taking the viewer into an identifiable space, like how we experience the real visual world, or are you not? It's not that there's a right answer there. It's just an awareness. And it's important for the viewer to have that clarity, to have that entry point. Because if you're confused about it and you say, well, you know, it's basically an abstract painting, but I'm going to render this tree in absolute reality. I'm not saying that can't work, but um, you have to have clarity about what you're doing. Otherwise, it's simply confusing uh, as a visual image. So basically, having a clear context means that the amount or the degree of abstraction in the work should be clear to the artist, clear to the viewer, and consistent for the most part. And, you know, I always have to add that disclaimer because anything I say about art, somebody can turn around and say, oh, but what about so-and-so's work? So I'm just saying in general, if you're struggling with this issue yourself, um, clear context means, again, that degree of abstraction is clear and consistent. You can use recognizable objects. That's perfectly fine. But if so, are you presenting them in a way that that is abstract in its intention? So, for example, um, if you wanted to do something with flowers, let's say, and, and flowers might have some symbolic meaning to you, uh, might involve a memory. So rather than painting flowers as they're growing out of the ground or in a vase or something in a realistic way, maybe a contour drawing of a flower on a color field. Right away, we're not seeing that flower image as anything realistic. It's become more symbolic, and it's easier to interpret it as an abstract image. Um, so that's um, basically just to say some clarity on your own part. And um, it is actually a pretty big issue to find what is that degree of abstraction you want. If you want any recognizable imagery and, and how are you going to work it into a more abstract context. Um, and that's saying, assuming maybe you want some imagery in there. If you don't, and it's more, you're heading more towards pure abstraction, nothing recognizable. In that case, um, mood and meaning are conveyed by the visual elements in the composition alone. And there's lots of examples of this in 
in art history and just think of abstract expressionist painters like Pollock or more formal abstract painters like Rothko. And, you know, you think of those paintings, they convey a definite mood, um, feeling, and, you know, people react in a similar way to the paintings because they have this consistent degree of um, abstraction and a consistent personal language from the artist. So if you're working in pure abstraction, you're probably going to have um, a clear emphasis on some color, some texture, some mark that is evocative for you. Um, and it leads the viewer in a general direction without being specific. And again, it gets back to that personal visual language. What, what colors move you? What type of marks are so interesting to you? Um, maybe the color red is symbolic to you in some way or has emotional connotations. And if so, you can have that be a word in your visual vocabulary. Uh, variations on red, working with red, exploring red. And if you use that consistently in your work, it becomes something people identify with your work and it becomes part of your voice. So it's very hard to explain all this, but hopefully if you consider um, the idea of context and the idea of essence in looking at your work and saying, is this where I want to be with abstraction? I think those are, those are helpful doorways. Well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Yeah, as I said, it's obviously complicated. Um, but there is this this drive I see in in myself, I see it in people I work with, to make abstraction more personally meaningful, to to relate to your own experiences, your own impressions and feelings, and to do so without illustrating these things, without depicting um, something that conveys the idea. And that, uh, that step into more pure abstraction is, it's really, it's quite challenging. But the steps that I mentioned, working with essence, working with context, are two things that have really helped me in my own work. Um, as I look at it, as I think about it, these are important considerations. I think there are more, but that's what we're doing today. We're talking about those two. <laughs> Okay. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please go to MessyStudioPodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as Rebecca's public profile page. For more from Rebecca Kroll, check out RebeccaKroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at ColdWaxAcademy.com. Be sure to sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. For more from myself, Ross Tickner, check out rostickner.com. The Messy Studio is a Tick Digital Media production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again with more art and entertainment. Until then, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.